Well, hey, this morning, if you have uh, your Bible or the YouVersion Bible app, I encourage you to go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 28. And uh, for over a year, I have been starting uh, our sermons off by Jesus is giving his ministry. And for about the past six months, we've been saying, hey, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He is taking every opportunity he can to have these teaching moments with people. And here we have it. He's finally in verse 28 going into Jerusalem. We have been waiting a long time to get to this passage. This is the passage we would typically look at on Palm Sunday. This is where Jesus comes in. He's riding a donkey. Everyone is praising him. And the reason that I wanted to do this a little bit earlier, and the reason I kind of put it on track to hit this a little bit earlier, is because there is a lot going on in between uh, Jesus coming into Jerusalem and Jesus dying on the cross. And so instead of just kind of hitting these on Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday, what I wanted to do is do this one early, and then that gives us plenty of time to look at this last week that Jesus has. In fact, Luke specifically spends over two chapters just on the span of about five days. He spends a lot of time writing this. It's really important, so I want us to just soak up all that is uh all that is written here. So let's take a look here in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. This is what it says. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they uh, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, hem you on every side, tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. We're going to talk about this passage. Uh, Typically, we leave off that last handful of verses when we talk about it on Palm Sunday. Luke, specifically, is the only gospel writer here that includes that, uh, that section. But I think it's really important that we take a look at that to really understand what's going on here and to apply it to our lives as well. So would you uh, pray along with me here as we ask God to help us with that this morning? Father, we thank you for your word, your good, your perfect and authoritative word over our lives. As we talk about it 
Would you give me the words to say? Would you soften our hearts and speak to each and every person here? Would you help us to apply your word to our lives? If you're calling us to do something, would you give us the wisdom and the courage and the strength to be obedient, to be faithful, to trust you, Father, to do your will? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, have you ever used a tool incorrectly? Probably, right? Uh, I think no matter what tool I pick up, it doesn't matter what I use. Uh, it's probably going to be incorrect if it's my first time using it. We have a huge uh, drain problem in our family. There's a lot of hair in our family, and we only have one bathroom. And so everybody's got to do their hair in the morning. And usually there's a big clump of hair. Sorry if that grosses you out. It probably does for some of you. I'm sorry. But we have a huge drain problem. And every couple months, the drain inevitably will not go. We've tried all the different stoppers, the little plastic things you put on top, try clean out every day. It doesn't work, right? There's just, there's too many people using one bathroom. And so what happens is every couple months, I bought this little piece of plastic and it's got like little teeth on it and you put it down the drain and it's supposed to get all the hair up. Well, usually this works. And so I tried it again. It didn't pull up anything. Like, well, all right, uh, I did it. Should work, right? Turn on the faucet instantly starts backing up. And you're like, okay, so something else is going on here. And so I'm Mr. Fix-It at home, Joe homeowner. And I'm like, all right, this is it. This is time for me to shine. Tammy was out of town this weekend. She had a funeral. Her grandma passed away. So she was in Cleveland. And I was like, all right, this is just me. And I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to win the Awesome Husband Award. When she gets back, it's going to be completely 100% fixed. And so we had this extra snake laying around. They call it a drain snake. It's like 25 feet long. And I'm like, oh yeah, never gotten to use this thing. Someone gave it to us. And so I'm like, yes, finally, I'm going to be able to use it. So I take off the trap underneath the sink and I start fishing this thing in and it does not work. And I don't know what is going on. I mean, the thing, like it's got a little handle on it. I'm spinning it and I'm trying to like get it in there and it just comes back empty. And I'm like, okay, the drain is not going. Something has to be wrong. And so I ended up watching a YouTube video and it was my fault. I was not using the tool correctly at all. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. After that, I used the tool correctly and behold, it got the drain. It got the drain working and it was great. But you know, when you don't use things as they are intended to be used, something happens, right? And it typically is not the right thing that you want to happen. And the people here in this passage remind me of that. You see, the people in this passage are accepting Jesus, right? They're, they're praising Jesus. He's come to Jerusalem, and you have this amazing scene, right? Take a look at verse 38. They're saying this, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this should be really good, right? We should look at this and go, okay, people are praising God. This is really good. They're praising Jesus. He's just had his entire earthly ministry here. And now he's coming towards the end of it and people are praising Jesus. This should be a really good scene. And yet, just a couple verses later, here's what we find out. Jesus' response to the people praising him is not, yes, this is awesome. It happened. It worked. People are praising me. No. Take a look. What is Jesus' response? It says in verse 41, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, we would expect him to, to be rejoicing, right? This is great. People are praising me, but he doesn't. He says, the text says that he was crying. And Jesus says, would that you, even you, 
had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. The people do not have peace. Why? Because they are treating God incorrectly. They have these preconceived notions about who Jesus is, about what Jesus is going to do. And there's this undercurrent of people who really do not like Jesus. In between these couple of verses, we found out this here in verse 39. It says, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now Jesus responds to him and says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. But it just goes to show there's this undercurrent of these religious leaders who just despise who Jesus is. The Gospel of John records this even. They have a, man, just they just despise Jesus. They have a hatred for him. John eleven fifty seven 57 says, Now the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Okay, so this is a big deal. For the Pharisees to be able to see Jesus, this is a big deal. They want this guy arrested. They want him punished. Ultimately, they want him killed and gone. And it doesn't take long for this Pharisee attitude, this religious leader's attitude to spread to everyone else. You guys know the end of the story. This is Sunday where Jesus is coming in on the donkey. He's coming in. People are praising him. And yet what happens not five days later on Friday? They're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Just a couple chapters later in the Gospel of Luke, I want to give you just a glimpse of what is happening. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. Now I want you to think about that just for a moment. Pilate, the leader here, is saying, listen, there's nothing wrong with this guy. I mean, sure, I'll, I'll punish him, slap him on the wrist, and then send him on his way. And the entire crowd, I mean, could you imagine being in this crowd? Crucify him! Crucify! They're just shouting and shouting and shouting. Verse 22 says it's, this is the third time Pilate is saying this. Pilate has said this over and over again. And yet people are insistent that they want Jesus dead. They want him to go to the cross. There's a problem. The people do not have peace with Jesus, right? He says that in verse 41, that this is why he is crying. He says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that, look at this, make for peace. Which leads me to this question. If these people thought that they had peace with God, and yet they didn't. Jesus is not rejoicing that they are shouting and praising Him, yet He's crying. Could that be us as well? And it leads me to this question. How do we truly experience peace with God? How do you experience God's peace? Because it's clear to me that these people did not experience this. Jesus, instead of rejoicing, is crying. And He's saying, you do not have peace. You think you have it. You're putting on the show to make everyone else think you've got it, but you don't. And maybe in our lives, my guess is there's a lot of us who fall into that same trap. 
And so here's what I want to do today. I want to take a look at the good things that happened in this passage, the bad things, and learn simply how do we experience God's peace? How do we experience peace with God? Let's start all the way at the beginning, right back at verse 28. It starts by Jesus saying, hey, listen, we're drawing close, and so I'm going to send two of you guys up to this uh, city in front of us, and uh, when you get there, you'll see this colt. Uh, other Gospels tell us this is not the colt of a horse, but it is the colt of a donkey. You're going to see it tied up, and then uh, someone's going to ask you, hey, what are you doing with that? Just tell this simply, uh, the Lord has need of it. Now, it tells us this, that they went and did it. Everything happened the way that Jesus said it was going to happen, and they grabbed the donkey and come back. Now, I want you to just think about this, because this is a passage of Scripture that we typically overlook. Okay, yeah, Jesus said there was a donkey. There was. The people brought it back. Awesome. And then he just rides it into town, right? Good enough. Now, I want to ask you a question. If I told you to go a mile and a half down the road to Walmart, and I said, hey, there's going to be a Mustang convertible. The keys are in the cup holder. The guy is going to be coming back with his groceries when you step into it. Just go ahead and get in the passenger seat, or I'm sorry, the driver's seat. Go ahead and pick up the keys, start the car up. And that guy's going to be like, dude, what are you doing? That's my car. And then you just tell him this, the Lord needs it. And then you just put it in reverse, get out of the parking spot, put it in drive, and then head on out. Now, if I told you to do that, you'd be like, um, Josh, are, are you crazy? Do you want me to get arrested? That's known as Grand Theft Auto, right? Like, you are going to get arrested. This is illegal. You cannot steal cars, right? This would be the equivalent of what Jesus is asking them to do. This is crazy. I don't know if you're one of the disciples, but if I were one of the disciples, I'd be like, uh, Jesus, um, you know there's like punishment for that, right? Like, you know you can't just steal someone's donkey. That's illegal. That's wrong. You, you would even teach you can't steal, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't do that, right? Don't steal. And yet, look at what Jesus is saying. Hey, hey you know what? It's okay. Just tell them the Lord needs it. So here's what I want to point out. Both the disciples and the owner of the donkey both had an incredible, incredible amount of faith, Right? I mean, think about it. For the disciples to just go and say, okay, cool, yeah, I guess we'll do that, right? I mean, that's like you going to Walmart and stealing somebody's Mustang, right? And yet, they had an incredible amount of faith if they did it. And the owner of the donkey as well had an incredible amount of faith. I mean, think about this. Maybe God had put it on his heart that if someone comes and steals your donkey and says God needs it, just let him go. Don't worry about it. I'll replace it. He'll come back. I don't know how, but he will. Now, God must have put that on his heart, or maybe he just said, you know what, God needs it, that's awesome, you go for it. But either way, he had an incredible amount of faith. And I think if we're going to have peace with God, we as well also have to devote ourselves to faithfulness. We've got to say, all right, God, no matter what you want in my life, even if it sounds crazy, I'm going to do it. Even if it sounds really outlandish, like going to Walmart, and hopping in somebody's car and driving away with it. Okay, now that's a crazy example. Please don't go to Walmart and steal somebody's car and tell you the pastor told me I could do it. Okay, this is a word from the Lord, okay? So, uh, but I just want to say, man, they have an incredible amount of faithfulness. And if we're going to have peace with God, we have to have this level of faithfulness. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We quote the fruit of the Spirit all the time. But do you remember at the end of verse 22, it says that one of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Faithfulness. 
When God transforms you to look less like you and more like Him after having a relationship with Him, He increases your faithfulness if you allow Him to do so. We've got to say, all right, God, no matter what you call me to, even if it's crazy, even if I don't want to do it, I am going to be faithful. I'm going to step in your ways and I'm going to devote myself to whatever it is that you've called me to do. Let's continue on in our story here in Luke. It says that as Jesus was drawing near the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, I want to remind you, though, this sounds really good. It sounds like, hey, they have peace with God. They're even saying peace in heaven, right? This is great. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. This is amazing. They're all talk. They don't really get it. Jesus Christ, because he says, hey, listen, you don't really know what it means to have peace. And I want to remind you, again, this is happening on Sunday. By Friday, what are they doing? They're crying out to Pilate, saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So here's what I think that we can learn from this. If we are going to have peace with God, if we are going to have this supernatural peace which surpasses all understanding and avoid the mistakes that these people made, we have got to determine to worship God our entire lives, not just for a moment. Because let's be honest, it's really easy to feel called to do something at church and be like, all right, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to be faithful and uh, I'm going to worship God my entire life. And then on Monday morning, you completely forget about all of it. It's super easy to do. These people forgot about what they were saying on Sunday and by Friday completely reversed course. It didn't even take a week for them to forget all of what they were praising God for. And so I think that we need to determine that we are going to worship God our entire lives, not just for a season, not just momentarily, but forever. We are going to worship Him. And that's not just singing, right? A lot of people say, okay, worship, that's, you know, getting to church and, you know, singing a bunch of songs together. That's not true. Worship is much more encompassing than that. Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, worship is not just singing. It is giving your entire life to the Lord and saying, I am going to praise you. I am going to worship you all the time, even in the midst of maybe other people not really liking that. Remember what is happening in this context here. Remember, the Pharisees had put out basically a warrant for Jesus' arrest. that people should let them know where he was so that they could arrest him. Even in the midst of this, we have to say, God, we are going to worship you. And then what happens? Well, Colossians 3.15, I want to point this out. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Think about the amount of peace that you would have if you were saying, you know what, I'm going to worship God my entire life in every circumstance. It makes things like the stock market going up and down and pandemics happening and political turmoil and wars happening, it puts them all into perspective, right? Because your job doesn't change. In the midst of crazy things happening in this world, 
your job remains the same. It's to worship God. It's to glorify Him in all that you do. Your job remains the same. There's a lot of people freaking out about a lot of things right now. So, oh, you know what? I'm going to pile up food and you know what? I'm going to put all my money in bullets and coffee and gold and yeah, I'm going to survive. This is going to be great. Everything else is going to collapse. But you know what? Right here, I'm going to do great and I'm going to survive. This is going to be awesome and this is just going to be great. And think about the turmoil that that causes in your body and in your mind, in your spirit. Now, I just want to make it clear. Listen, God wants to give us his peace. Look at what Colossians 3 says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ. It puts things into perspective. There is going to be turmoil on this life and in this world. We know that. Things are going to happen. Crazy things are going to happen. And ultimately, the best things that you can do to prepare for it here on earth, the physical things, they're not going to help you for very long. How long is that food really going to last? How long are the best preparations that you could possibly do going to last? Maybe last you a couple months. Good luck after that. But listen, we can prepare for eternity by accepting Christ and having his peace in our hearts and determining that that is what's going to rule over our lives, determining that we are going to worship him in all that we do. Let's continue on in the story. I want to highlight this again. The people were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Now, they're praising God. But as I said earlier, they have some preconceived notions about what Jesus is going to do, right? They have these preconceived notions that they are in Israel. Rome is ruling over them right now. They want their freedom politically. They want to be uh, out from underneath the Roman Empire. They want uh, freedom again. They want their independence. They think that Jesus is going to get them this independence. When they are saying peace in heaven, what they're really saying is peace right here where I live and uh, we're done with the Romans. We're done paying their taxes. This is going to be great. We know that they have this preconceived notion about what Jesus is going to be doing. Uh, Several times it's recorded. I want to just highlight the last one that we read was just a couple of weeks ago, back in Luke 19.11. It tells us this, that he uh, heard these things. He proceeded to tell them a parable. Remember, this is the parable of the ten minas that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Remember the parable of the ten minas. If you missed that, go back a couple of weeks ago on our website. Listen through that. Jesus explains what the kingdom of God is actually going to look like. The people didn't listen to it though. They've still got their own thing going on. They've got their own preconceived notions about what Jesus is going to do. But if we're going to have true peace with God, here's what I want to point out. We have to avoid being ruled by these preconceived notions about who Jesus is, about who God is, about who he or how he is going to act. Because listen, you can fall into a couple of different errors. On the one side, you could say, okay, I'm going to trust in Jesus with my entire life and everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies and he's going to make everything perfect. I'm never going to have an argument with my spouse. I'm never going to stub my toe. My kids are going to grow up to be the perfect Christians. There's, they're never going to do anything wrong. We're going to have perfect relationships. We're going to have perfect conversations. And uh, I'm going to have the perfect job and a two-car garage and a white picket fence. And everything is just going to be perfect. 
on the other side, you could err on this side and say, well, God's a big meaty pants in the sky, and so if I don't do everything perfect, then, uh, you know, things are just going to not work out, and I'm not perfect, and so nothing's going to work out for me, and so I'm just going to keep doing my own thing and, you know, um, live my miserable life over here in the corner, right? Okay, so you could err on these two different side of things, or you could read God's Word and realize that He wants to give you His peace, in the midst of horrible things happening to you. Jesus, look at this. Jesus, in John 14, 27, says this. Peace I live with you. My peace, look at this, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now, Jesus puts it real clear. He says, hey, listen, the world's peace looks like nothing ever bad happening to you. And you never have an argument with your spouse. And you never, at the end of the month, look at your bank account and go, man, this did not work out how I thought it was going to work out. There's uh, too much month at the end of the month here. I need some more cash. Listen, Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a different kind of peace. I'm going to give you a different kind of peace. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Look at this. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've come to overcome the world. Now, listen, Jesus makes it real clear. Bad things are going to happen in our lives. You're going to have arguments with your spouse. You're going to have financial hardships. You're going to have difficulties with your children. It's just a reality of the life that we live in. The world is a sinful world. It's fallen and we have to face the effects of a fallen world. There will be wars. There will be pandemics. It happens. But in the midst of this, look at what Jesus says. In the midst of your tribulation, take heart. I've overcome the world. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the midst of horrible things happening, God says, I want to give you my peace. Second Thessalonians 3.16 puts it like this. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way, the Lord be with you. I want you to think about this just for a moment. What would it look like to have peace at all times, in every way, in your life? What relationships would look different? How would the time you, or how would the, the way that you spend your time look differently? How would your thought life change? Would you spend less time worrying about all the different things in your life? And would you just hand it over to God and say, I need your peace, which Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, surpasses all understanding, a peace at the level that it doesn't even make sense. That's what God says, I have for you. I am offering this to you and I want you to accept it. doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. But it does mean that when those bad things do happen, we have a level of peace in our life to know who ultimately is in control. One more thing I want to point out to you in this story. It tells us Jesus was on the colt of a donkey. The, the gospel messages together tell us it's a colt and is the colt of a donkey. Now, uh, normally when a king would ride into town and he, made, I mean, he, he met business, uh, he wanted to accomplish some things. He would be on the biggest war horse that was available to him. He'd have the biggest, strongest animal here, the most majestic looking thing that he could be riding. And he wants to intimidate everyone around him. Only 
At extreme times of peace would a king be found on a colt of a horse, let alone on a colt of a donkey. A donkey is even less uh, of a war animal than a pony would be. And so for Jesus to be riding in on this baby donkey, it would be almost ridiculous for people to see. I mean, they would almost laugh at this. Like, you chose that, right? I mean, maybe in our illustration earlier about the Mustang being parked in the Walmart parking lot, maybe it's like a Yugo or something, you know? Like, it's like a smart car, like a two-door car, and Jesus riding on like an electric smart car or something, or a go-kart. I mean, it would just be ridiculous. People would be like, really? That's, that's what you're riding, huh? That's, oh, hope it gets you there safe, right? I mean, this would be ridiculous. And yet Jesus, this is what Jesus chose to make his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, right? He chose a donkey. Moreover, I want to point out this. Jesus knew exactly what would happen when he would come in. He knew people would praise him on Sunday and by Friday be calling for his death. He knew that he would have to face one of the most horrific and torturous deaths, deaths available at the time in order to reconcile mankind to himself. He knew that he would face that. It's an incredible amount of humility and love that we see in this act that Jesus did on this Palm Sunday. And as you read scripture, the more you will discover God's humility and God's love for you. And if you want to truly experience God's peace in your life, here's what I want you to do. Take a look at God's word and discover these things. Discover his humility. Discover his love for you. And you'll find if God did that for other people, if God was humble and loving towards other people, then certainly he is towards me as well. Listen, this act that he did on Palm Sunday, coming in on a donkey, this was not just a spur-of-the-moment idea that Jesus had. He had this from the beginning of time. It was prophesied. Zechariah 9.9 puts it like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The fall, the fall of a donkey. He tells us this. Why? Because Jesus is humble and he loves us so much that he would go through a horrific death for us. And part of this is that he would offer us his peace. Uh, Peter, as he writes his second letter to the believers around him, says this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Listen, when you grow in the knowledge of who God is, of what Jesus did for us, this peace is multiplied in your life. When you read things like Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, look at this, we have peace with God, our Lord and Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. And later on in Romans, when you read things like this, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. And look at this, peace. Man, there is a certain level of peace that just comes over you. When you realize what Jesus has accomplished and what the, uh, the, just the vast amount of love that he has for you, there is an amazing peace. Peace which surpasses all understanding. Psalm 119 puts it like this. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing 
can make them stumble. Proverbs 16.7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Listen, no matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus today, whether you have loved him for decades and decades, or you've never chosen to love him yet, God wants to offer you more of his peace. He wants to give you this peace which surpasses all understanding. And it's free. All you have to do is say, I accept it. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, and I want your peace. Let's be honest, there is a lot of crazy things happening. I don't have to tell you all the crazy things that have happened in the last two years. March 20th, today, March 20th, two years ago, was our last service before we shut down for 10 weeks and went online only. Two years ago. Just two years ago. Crazy, crazy things. Would you ever think that that would happen? Crazy things are going to happen in the future too. Jesus tells us we will have tribulation. And yet in the midst of this, he wants to offer us peace. So no matter where you are with him today, I want you to just simply ask yourself, Jesus, I want your peace. How how can I experience more of your peace? What's messing with me? What am I worrying about? What is on my heart that I just need to hand over to you? You may be a believer for decades and decades, and you might feel super far away from God right now. You may feel like, man, yeah, I'm a believer, but I I just don't feel it. I don't feel God's presence in my life, and I, I just don't know what to do about it. I've tried doing all these things, and it just doesn't work. If that's you today, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Devote yourself to faithfulness. Devote yourself to worshiping God your entire life. Don't be ruled by your preconceived notions of who God is, but look at his word and simply discover who he is, that he is humble and loving towards us. And as you do this, it's a cycle because it helps you. The more you experience who God is, the more you say, all right, I'm devoted to faithfulness and worshiping you. And I'm not going to let preconceived notions rule over me. I am just going to simply read your word and discover who you are. And then the cycle continues where you devote yourself to more faithfulness. Get to know who Jesus is. He loves you. He loves you so much that he'd endure the cross for you. And he wants to give you his peace. If you've never experienced that peace and you'd like to today, we'd love you to lead you, lead you to the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we pray for all those who, God, man, life is just crazy right now. Life is hectic. We pray for those. Would you help us to experience your peace, discover more of who you are, your humble nature and your great love for us. Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who has never experienced the peace that comes with being a believer, the peace that only you offer, God. Not the world, not what everyone else says is peaceful, but God, true peace only comes through you. If there's someone here who has never experienced it, God, I pray that you would put it on their heart right now, that today's their day, that they would accept you, that they would truly experience what it means to have the assurance that at the end of our lives when we die, 
we will see you face to face. We thank you for that assurance. Father, again, I just pray for all those who want to experience more of your peace. Would you just put it on our hearts to get to know who you are, to spend time with you, and to set our minds to the hope that you have, that we have peace in you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for everything you've done to give us peace. And I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would live our lives in such a way that we would worship you and glorify you and ultimately experience more of who you are, experience your peace, your peace which surpasses all understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.